So uh, as Dan has said, um, and we've talked about this, it's, uh, we're here this morning on a very, very special, very, very special day. It's best day ever. And uh, of course, we all know why it's the best day ever. I believe we have a video that shows why. Yes. Okay, it's enough. Come on. It's the Cubs. They're in the World Series. Miracles do happen. Um, I, I had to watch, I, I tweeted this out last night, but like I don't have, we don't have cable at my house. And so I'm watching, doing the whole thing. I don't know if you guys have ever watched like a game on ESPN GameCast and you're just refreshing the screen, uh, you, know, four, you know, three nothing, four nothing. And then I had to go to bed and I woke up this morning and saw the good news. So just kidding. That's not why it's the best day ever, right? We're here to celebrate uh, what God does in the lives of ordinary human beings that open themselves up to them. And it's an amazing, amazing, amazing day. It's gonna be an amazing story. It already has been. And what I wanna do is just for a few minutes, talk to us a little bit about what baptism is and why we do it. And, and as I said this morning, uh, I love days. I mean, let's be honest, like I'm never, or, or, or whoever speaks, or even when we're doing music, like we're never the main event, right? God is the main event and God's people are the main event and his spirit is the main event. But this day especially, I'm, I'm just the warm-up act. I'm the warm-up act to an amazing story and an amazing uh, movement of God. So uh, as, as a good warm-up does, I'm just gonna be brief and we'll get out of the way and we're gonna get to the main event in just a couple minutes. I wanna start off with just some basics. Baptism comes from a Greek word, baptismo. Uh, we lifted it straight from the Greek. It's actually uh, a term that has to do with clothing, with cloth. Baptismo simply means to immerse, to dye, to change the color of a cloth. And over time, uh, the first uh, other religions, but then Christianity took that word and, and used it as a, as a way to describe um, acts that we do, this, this, this thing that we're going to experience together this morning. And what baptism has in terms of history is that you have to understand that baptism is not unique to Christianity. It's not even unique to Judaism. If you looked into the ancient record of, 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 of historical fact, you would find other world religions that do baptism. Um, the Babylonians would do baptism. The Egyptians would do baptism. They would immerse children in the Nile River as sort of an act of purification, a symbolic act of, of cleansing yourself from imperfections. And so it was common for the ancient world to do this. Judaism comes along and in a way they're no different. They, they appropriate this, this act, this, this behavior to symbolize things like purification and everything. And um, Judaism in that respect, also has some other distinctions about baptism that we know a little bit more about because they're a sort of our cousin in faith. Um, Judaism, baptism in Judaism is what I would call a DIY, a DIY act. So what that means is that in, in Judaism, you can baptize yourself. So a person might be going along, they're, they're living their life, and then they, they feel a moment, a crisis comes, and they want to 
They want to get that feeling that, that somehow they're recommitting their life back to Christ or God is doing something, not Christ, but God is doing something different in their world. Something is changing about their lives. And so what they would do is they would say, well, I'm going to go baptize myself. They would find ideally some moving water, living water is what they would call it. And they would go down to the water themselves. They might have friends there. They might have family there, but they can do it themselves. It's what I would call an active act. They do it. They engage in it. And uh, that's the way Judaism uh, experienced baptism. And, and also, you could do this repeatedly. You could baptize yourself many, many times in your life. It was not a, a, a big once-in-a-lifetime turning point until this guy named John comes around. John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And he comes along, and he is, he's a, a major figure in in. Uh, the first century of Judaism. He knows Jesus. Jesus and he are actually cousins. They're related. And John has a movement that precedes Jesus's kingdom of God movement. And let me, let me give you a, a little bit of a picture of what John looks like and what he does. This comes out of Mark chapter one, verse four. So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with, the, with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John is a super intense figure and he's active in the Judean wilderness, which is near J Jerusalem. He's in the wilderness when Jesus is, is born and is growing up. John's a little bit older than him. And the thing that John changes about baptism that's significant for our story is that John changes it from uh, a couple different things. He says, one, this is not something that you just do once a week or any old time that you feel like it. John says, this baptism is for, the text says, forgiveness and the repentance of, uh, of, of your life. And if you've grown up around church, repentance can be a scary church word. Uh, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. You know what that means? It means changing your mind. So what that means is John says, look, it's for repentance. When your mind changes about who God is in your life and who you are, that's repentance. And that's an occasion for baptism. But you don't do it every week. You don't do it just when you feel like you're a little bitty, you're a little bit sideways with God, guess I better be baptized again. John says, this is for a time when something shifts in your thinking about yourself and about God. And it's like, okay, Maybe, it's, maybe you'd say it this way. It's time for me to get serious about this. It's time, now I really understand a fuller picture of who God is and maybe I understand a little bit more about myself and maybe I'm not too pleased with what I see. I need to kind of make a statement. And the other thing that John changes uh, about this is, um, um, like I said, he says you do it one time and strangely enough, Jesus shows up and he submits to John's baptism. And the last thing about John's baptism is that it shifts from being an act where you do it yourself to where it's done to you. So I call it a passive act. 
So you go into the waters and rather than you just saying, okay, I'm going under the water now, I'm gonna go under, I'm gonna come up. You are surrendering your life into the hands of someone else. John baptizes you at first. It's you receive the baptism. You don't do it yourself. And that's gonna become uh, pretty important as we see the way this plays out with why we get baptized in the first place. So uh, what I wanna do now is that's that's the context that we operate on. That's the context that baptism emerges in Jesus's teaching and in the early church. And then what I wanna do is kind of spend the rest of our time looking at the question of why we get baptized. I've been baptized. Um, Most of you guys, a lot of you guys have been baptized. Why I would say we do it in the first place. And I wanna do it through four uh, real brief texts, and I want to spend a lot, a, a lot of time in, in one, um, one text in Romans. But the first thing I would say, the first reason we get baptized is that Jesus calls for it. Matthew 28, Jesus says, go into all the world. He's telling his disciples, go into the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. So uh, this is kind of Sunday school at this point. Like, you know why we get baptized? Because Jesus told us to. <laughs> so that, that's why we do it. Uh, the second reason that we, we submit to baptism while we're baptized is because this, uh, because Jesus is baptized. And this, I want to, like, this really, I love this line of thinking. You see, Jesus is baptized by John, his cousin. And think about that for just a moment. Do you think Jesus needed to change his mind about who God is or about who he was? No, he didn't. He didn't. Like there was nothing that Jesus needed to repent of to be baptized. But I think there's something so beautiful in the fact that he submits to it anyway. He humbles himself, just like he asks us to humble ourselves. And I think there's something in Jesus's mind that says, I don't need to do this baptism thing, but I'm gonna go to my cousin who God is moving through in a powerful way and I'm gonna tell him to baptize. And how would you like to be in John's shoes? I mean, like I was pointing out, the, how would you like to be like, you know, Pastor Dan is actually gonna to do the baptism this morning. How would you like to be Dan this Sunday and, and Jesus comes up and he's like, Dan, would you baptize me? Talk about like not wanting to screw something up. Like how don't hold Jesus under the water to, I guess it probably wouldn't matter. But, <laughs> but Jesus in this amazing act of humility, comes to another human being and says, would you baptize me? And I believe in my life that I'm supposed to do the things that Jesus did in order to live the life that Jesus lived. So Jesus is baptized, I wanna be baptized. And we're told in the, in the text that, that he comes to Mark and Mark or John and John baptizes him. And as he comes up out of the water, if you know the story, uh, it says the heavens open, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And then a voice comes from heaven saying, anybody remember? This is my, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. That's the statement that God pronounces over all of us, by the way. You are my son, you are my daughter. I am pleased with you. So Jesus gets baptized, therefore, I believe I should be baptized. The third reason that I believe baptism is important is that it identifies me as a member of God's people. This comes out of the Old Testament in the the book of Exodus. You see, there's a time when God's people are are enslaved by the Egyptians. And they stay in captivity for years. And God decides to set them free and through a radical act of grace, 
he comes to Pharaoh. He works on Pharaoh's stubborn heart through all these catastrophes that happen. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh says, let, the, let God's people go. And so God's people head on out of Egypt. And, there, and then Pharaoh has a wake-up call and says, wait a minute, what happened to all this free labor that I just had? Maybe we should get them all back again. So Pharaoh sets out after the Israelites, God's people. And if you know the story, they're rushing through, they're rushing to get out of Egypt and they come up to a body of water. Remember what the body of water's name is? The Red Sea or the Reed Sea. And so God's people, slaves, right? Slaves. They are stuck between a body of water that they cannot get across and Egypt, which is the preeminent military economic power of the region of the era. So there's an army coming. And they're a group of slaves and they're stuck between an army and an ocean. You think they're freaking out a little bit? Oh, they are. It's in the text. They are freaking out. And then uh, there's this beautiful passage where God tells Moses, he tells the people of Israel, just stand there. I am going to fight for you. He tells them, just be quiet. Just, just relax. And then if you know the story, uh, he tells Moses, hey, look, stand in front of the, the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea, raise your hands. And when Moses does that, the waters part. And the text says that the, the God's children walk through on dry land with the water on their left and the water on their right. That was probably a little bit less nerve wracking than facing an army, but I imagine it was still pretty scary. And they go through one step at a time, one step at a time. And... Uh, and what one theologian says is that going through the waters, they pass through the waters by God's actions. And as they pass through the waters, they go from being just a family of slaves to a nation of God's people. And so there's a symbolism that's wrapped up in there that as I go through the waters, as God's people went through the waters, when I pass through the waters, I emerge on the other side with the idea that I am a member of God's family. So God's people pass through the waters in Exodus. We pass through the waters in our own story. And it identifies us with God's people. But the strongest thing that I want to dwell on today, and any of, any of these points could be a whole message in and of themselves. They probably will be someday. But where I want to dwell today for the last few moments that we have is the fact that baptism identifies me with Jesus in a really, really powerful way. And I want to highlight this by, by looking at a text in Romans chapter 6. Uh, the book of Romans is, is like the Mount Everest in a way of the, of the New Testament. It is a towering book of amazing writing and theology. And in these short passages, uh, the Apostle Paul writes some important words for us this morning. So listen to this. Uh, chapter 6 verse 3 starts this way. Uh, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Okay, so what Paul's saying is there is that in baptism, there is a symbolic dying that goes on there. And just as Jesus died on the cross, our baptism is a symbol of our death. We go into the waters symbolically. 
And you just have to understand that on the cross, Jesus died a real death, a real death. The heart stopped beating. The lungs stopped expanding. There was death on the cross. And when we go into the waters, if you stay under the water too long, what's gonna happen? Yeah. And so entering into the water and going under the water is a symbol of like, look, we are identifying ourselves with the death that Jesus died. But then Paul says, and he goes on to explain, death was not the end of the story, right? You see, Jesus had to die to experience resurrection. So the, the heart does stop beating for a moment, but that's not the end of the story. And we'll talk about that in just a, a minute. Paul goes on for now. He says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, a real death, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey it's evil desires. All right, let's unpack this a little bit. Jesus dies a real death on the cross. We are united into that death in baptism. We go under the waters. You stay under the waters too long, you die. But that's not the end of the story because we come up out of the water. And just as Jesus comes up out of the tomb, we come up out of the water. And when Jesus comes out of the tomb, he's not the same anymore. Amen? You see, I think, uh, I, I can't remember when I seized on this idea, but I used to think that resurrection meant resuscitation. And that just that the heart that wasn't beating anymore is now beating and the lungs that weren't working, they're now working. And that is, but that's just the beginning of the story with resurrection. You see, resurrection changes everything. It's not just the human body that comes out of that tomb. We're told that something's different about Jesus. In other words, resuscitation and resurrection are not the same thing. If you read the gospel stories, there are people who are hanging out with the resurrected Jesus and they don't recognize him. And they're like, I don't know who this guy is. And then Jesus says something and they're like, whoa, no, it's Jesus. I should have known it all along. And there's this mixture of like, somehow a resurrected life looks the same, but is fundamentally different. And Paul says it this way, you once were a slave to sin, but when you pass through the waters, you're not a slave anymore. Jesus' life and death changes things. And I want to leave you with two thoughts. The first thought is this. How do you experience this? How do you experience this? This is where the idea of like what a, what an act, what's an active act and what's a passive act? Because you, you know what Paul says? You know how you experience this? You surrender. You give up. 
the, the, the spiritual life is not about soaring higher and higher and higher and getting it and finally getting so high that you can achieve it because that's not the way death works. See, death is an act of surrender. It's an act of giving up. It's an act of saying, I can't do this anymore. And so the passive act of baptism is in just a moment, Nicole is gonna place her life symbolically, at least, in the hands of another person. And she's going to submit and say, I'm giving up. And in that moment, like I don't wanna freak anybody out, but, but Dan's hands represent the hands of Christ. And she's saying, this life that I wanna get, I don't get by grasping and I don't get by soaring higher, I get it by, by giving up and surrendering. Because that's the way Jesus did it. He gave up his life. He surrendered his life. And that's how it starts. And then Paul says, look, once you've done that, you've been transferred. Your residency has changed. He said, you used to have this place you used to live where uh, sin reigned. But when you transfer yourself, you're set free from that place and you go live somewhere else. And in that place, sin doesn't reign in you anymore. So when sin comes knocking on your door and says, hey, let's go out and have a party. Let's go out and let's talk bad about this friend that we have. Let's lie a little. Let's have a little pride. Let's have a little selfishness. You know what Paul says? Guess what? You know what you can say? Um, uh, That person doesn't live here anymore. You see, um, years ago, um, we moved from an apartment on, on Miccosukee to up to Killarne to a house. And there was a time when we were like that day or over a couple of days, we would take stuff out of our residency where we once lived and we would take it over to this new place that we were living at. And I guess for a time, you know, like we would say we kind of lived in both places, but there was a time when, when we no longer lived in this house, we lived over here. And if someone came looking for us and they said, Hey, are the cases here? They go, hey, they don't live here anymore. That's what it's like with transferring yourself from one kingdom to another. We don't live in the kingdom of sin anymore. Sin comes looking for us over here and they're like, oh, you're, they don't live here anymore. They live over at like one Jesus drive. <laughs> but if you go looking for him, you're gonna have to deal with Jesus. So get ready. That's what life is like with us. And the own the way we do it is basically just to say, look, I give up on this. I surrender. I yield myself to this act. And we're set free. Is that good news for anybody? So what we're going to do is uh we're going to watch Nicole's story on video. And I'm gonna ask you guys to to pay attention to the story and just hear what God is doing in her life. And then uh, Dan's gonna walk us through the act of baptism and then we're gonna have a chance to celebrate with her. Um, And I just invite you to do that as we do that. So if we're ready, um, we're just gonna dim the lights and we'll watch this video together. I 
remember the first time they told me I was going to be baptized. I must have been 14 at the time. You know, I went and I got baptized. And when I think about my baptism, I don't remember much. What stands out in my mind, and which makes it really sad, is the fact that afterwards I was really upset because a classmate was having a sweet 16 and I wasn't allowed to go because it was my baptism. And that's my memory. The memory of my baptism is being angry that I couldn't go to a party because of it and, and seeing it as a hindrance. And um, I know that afterwards I wasn't different. I didn't change anything about myself. I'd gone through different points in my life where I thought uh, I was going to have a, a grand experience and kind of turn everything around and everything was going to be different from that point on and it was for maybe a month or so, a couple weeks, but it never really stuck. Eventually we found, me and my husband found E3 and we started coming and I still remember how we came a, that first Sunday of the month and by the following Saturday I was at Sir Tallahassee. And I really feel like that was the first catalyst for me and for the change, it really kind of started softening my heart and softening my um, ideas of what it meant to be in a church. And I reached out to Pastor Dan and I said, I need to talk to somebody. I've been going through so much lately. For eight years of my life, I've been addicted to sex and addicted to pornography and let that control my life, control who I am, who I became, who I interacted with. I couldn't live like I was living anymore. And I knew that no matter what I lost, I had gained the grace of my Lord and the love that He was showing to me. And that was enough to go forward. That was enough for me to just give up everything and follow Him. I'm so thankful that he has answered prayers that me and my husband have brought before him and even though I know we were unworthy at that time and I felt like I'm just beginning my transformation I don't deserve for you to show me that much grace and he gave when we didn't think we deserved to be given to I need to share my story no matter how painful it is no matter how ashamed I might have felt and and you know how society views what I've been through as a woman struggling with this addiction and it is something I strongly believe in that I'm meant to tell people what I've been through. It's been life-changing and I hope that this story and my struggle will also be life-changing for somebody else. I can't even put into words except to say thank you and to say thank you to everybody who has been there for me whether they known it or not and just to know that they have really helped bring me back into the kingdom of God. My name is Nicole Reyes. I'm an addict in recovery and I'm a fully devoted follower of Christ. This is my sister Nicole. I'm very proud of her. Um, one of the things that we like to do as we, as we kind of share these stories, remind ourselves of other pieces of our faith. And one of the ways we do that is just simply with a candle, something you probably walk by in Walmart all the time or love the smell of them, light and fill your house. But a candle um, 
without a flame is just simply a big hunk of wax, right? A candle has a purpose, and it's to broadcast light. And so we, we provide the opportunity, give Nicole a, a candle, and, and provide the opportunity for her to identify those people that have walked up with the flame of faith and said, here, you need to catch fire. You need to find your purpose. You need to live how God's designed you. And so, um, Nicole, would you, would you tell us a few of those people that uh, can come and light your candle? Well, as much as I want everybody in the church to have a piece <laughs> of it, um, I would want my husband, Nick, who's been there through everything, good and bad, um, my mother, and who has, uh, our relationship really has changed during this time and, and grown us closer, and um, Wendy here from the church, um, she's become really one of my closest friends anywhere, <laughs> and has stuck through me, stuck by me, and stuck through all, everything that I've been going through for the last two months. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you. It's one of the, one of the great honors, but also one of the great declarations um, that we're living out our faith when we get to, to light someone's candle. Because the command of Jesus was to go out and make disciples, right? The command was to be a witness. The, the, the call that's been given to all of us is to, is to live a life with God that is so intimate and so real that it overflows into the lives of other people. It's not, a, it's not a compelling thing in the sense of guilt. It's a compelling thing like when you've experienced something great and you just want to tell somebody because a, a joy that is shared is a joy that is multiplied, right? right. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and move towards the baptism. Nicole, because you've submitted yourself to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.